morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you. Um, for those of you that I haven't met before, my name is Chad. I'm the pastor of this congregation. Uh, I've been away for the last few weeks, and person I had a really lovely time down the south coast and coming back feeling pretty rested and, and relaxed, and we managed to avoid a lot of smoke and fire and that kind of thing, so it's, it's good to be here. And as we launch into um, our series, and if we can just, we've got our first slide up, I, I need to make a bit of a confession as I introduce this series, and this slide gives me a way of doing this. It, one of those moments where I realize God truly does have a sense of humor, because about a year ago, in 2019, I was talking with another church leader, and we were talking about, you know, 2020, and I jokingly said to him, how many churches at the beginning of 2020 do you think are going to launch 2020 visions? You know, the, the whole reality that 2020 is a way of measuring good eyesight and the year 2020 and church's propensity for wanting to do vision Sundays at the beginning of the year, it's going to be too much to resist. And then I found myself preparing the slides, and I sheepishly went over to Google. I typed in church 2020 vision statements, and there were so many of them that I actually just went, if we can just go back again quickly, I found one that kind of matched our Croydon Park colors. I mean, that's, uh, there was that many, and I thought, it, it says what I want us to say, but it also kind of matches. All I had to do was plonk our logo on top of it. But I want to assure you um, today that, that this is not a gimmick. This is not a 2020 gimmick. We're not doing this just because we've hit 2020 and it's a measure of vision and all of that. Let me just tell you real quickly um, how this came about. Our church leadership team, which is known as our EWC, last year we were doing what we normally always do, which is to plan the year ahead. But I think our church leadership has grown and developed and matured to such a state that we realize, you know what, we don't just need to go through our calendar and say, what are our normal events and where will they go, and what are our new events and where will they go. We really should be thinking ahead, and we need to come up with a, a three-year strategic plan to help our church grow and develop. And so we thought, well, how do we go about doing this, and we decided actually to go back um, to our church vision statement, which we'll look at in a second, and to make sure that our plans were aligned with the overall vision and taking us forward in the direction that we want to go over the next three years. But first of all, we had to think a little bit about what, what is a vision, and, and Lawrence raised this. People throw around the words vision or mission statement, and they all get kind of confused. Well, if we look at the, uh, the next slide that's up here, um, hopefully you picked this up in some of the songs. I mean, Casey and our song leader team, uh, the team did a really great job of selecting these sorts of things. But a vision is, it's, it's insight into the future. Um, it looks, and first of all, we need to look at God's plan, what God's doing. And Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be given to you as well. So the only way that we can have fruitful plans um, as a church, as God's people, is if we seek first, if we're looking, um, have a vision of what his plans are in the first place. And so we said, okay, well, what's a good way of summarizing his plans? And we thought, well, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's go back to WSCCC's vision statement. We'll just bring that up next. I don't know how many of you are aware that this whole church has a vision statement. 
um, when we talked about this as a uh, a leadership team. I think some people were very aware of it and could mostly quote it. Others said, oh, we have a vision statement. Um, Des sort of said in church history this probably came into being uh, around the early 90s. It simply says um, we want to be a people of God growing in Christ and reaching out with the gospel until Christ returns. And I remember looking at this statement when I was first applying for the job. I, mean, I always want to see, well, what, what's this church on about? And I thought, that's a good statement. It, it picks up on all of the major aspects of what a church should be doing. It recognizes that we as a church see ourselves as God's people. That's obviously point one. It recognizes that it's not just that God's called us into his family, so we are God's people and that's it. We've been adopted into a family and there's really nothing to do. But we want to be growing in Christ. Um, we're, we're disciples and we have a responsibility to learn and to grow and to develop individually and collectively. And that's a good part of the statement. But then it's not just about us. We want to be reaching out with the gospel. And Part of the reason why we commissioned Jackie yesterday and we'll be making decisions um, about Pete and Kat at an EGM today, even bringing on Georgie Day at the beginning of this year to work with our children or perhaps bringing on Zion to work with the larger children's ministry of the church. All of these decisions that we're making as a church is because we have a vision that goes beyond these church walls or this church property or the Strathfield church property. As a church, we want to reach out to the whole world with the gospel. But there's one other part of this vision statement that could easily get lost. It's the one that I've underlined for us, until he returns. And that could easily just be a kind of a neat way of closing off the vision statement. But I think it has to be the fourth and really the critical part of the vision statement. I think this is the key of what makes this a vision statement because a vision is something that points us forward and motivates us to keep going in the present. It's an inspiring picture of the future that motivates us in the here and now. Until he returns is critical to this statement. So let's just go on and let's talk a little bit about vision as we look at our next slide. Our first song, I hope you picked up, that it's partially based on, on this verse and, um, and some others as well. But Jesus close off, closes off um, the, the Revelation, the last book of our Bible, which is a revelation. That's why Revelation as a book is full of words like look, and he showed me, and then I saw, because Revelation is a vision. And I'm just fast-forwarding to the end of the vision, because in modern language, it says, Jesus says, look. I am coming soon. To give you some understanding of that, you know, school is such a formative time for all of us, but imagine you're back in the school classroom and your teacher walks in and says, now I have a very important assignment. I've written it up on the board and I want you to write this down because it's really important. It's critical to your grade that this is done. If you're like me, you go, yeah, yeah, okay, well, I'll, I'll get to that. And then the teacher follows it on by saying, and now I'm going to walk down the hall to attend to some other business. Before class is finished, I'm going to be back, and as soon as I walk back through the door, I'm going to collect this assignment. 
And you say, but, but when will that be? Before the end of class. And I will collect it when I come through the door. Now we're motivated, right? And that's the point of this statement. Jesus says to his church, I'm coming soon. And that's a great promise, and it's a great comfort, but it's also meant to be a great motivator. And so as we go on to the next part of this, I want us to just um, move on to the next slide. And I want to do the the quickest run through the book of Revelation you're ever going to have. This is the the three-minute executive summary of Revelation, because I want us to see where our reading today and where this statement fits into the whole book. So if you're reading Revelation as a whole, you go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, and it starts off by saying, this is a revelation, this is a vision that comes from Jesus Christ. God gave Jesus this vision to show his servants, to show us what must soon take place. So this is a vision. If you want to know what a biblical definition of a vision, here it is. God gave it to Jesus, Jesus gave it to us to show us what needs to happen next. Something that we see that motivates us and inspires us. The next thing that happens in the book of Revelation, and this happens through chapters 2 and 3, John, who writes the vision down, is given insight into seven churches. And if you've been in this church for a while, you know that seven is a symbolic number in the Bible. It means a complete number because God created everything in six days. He rested on the seventh day when everything was complete. So when you see seven churches, He's, he literally sees seven churches, and yet he also sees a picture of the church on earth. He sees us, in a sense, and every church that exists. And overall, I can summarize it by saying, some churches are doing very well, and some churches are failing. Some churches are really struggling with all kinds of problems and persecution. Other churches are rich and thriving, but one of the great ironies is, is that it's sometimes the really rich and powerful and thriving churches that are actually failing and have become complacent and have lost sight of things. And the churches that are struggling under persecution the most are often the ones that are actually doing God's will. And so John sees this picture of these churches going through all sorts of different situations. And in that, you can look at the whole church throughout history And you can kind of see what all churches have struggled with, whether it's persecution or whether it's pride, prosperity, poverty, whatever. He sees the whole thing. And then in chapter 4, again, there's this statement, look, because Revelation is a vision. And so John, who has been looking on the earth, um, the the worm's eye view, seeing how things appear on earth, he's then drawn up into heaven. God himself says, come up here, and he sees an open door into heaven, and from heaven he gets an eagle-eye view of everything that's happening on the earth. Perspective here on the earth can be different from what you see when you get up into heaven and you see it from God's standpoint. So he sees this door standing open into heaven, and he's given spiritual insight to understand everything that's happening. And now I have to do the quickest fast-forward through the whole Bible, you know, through the whole book as, as I can. But what 
John sees is a lot like what Jesus said to his disciples before he left. There's going to continue to be wars and rumors of wars, and there's going to be earthquakes, and there's going to be famine, and there's going to be all kinds of trouble and things that you're all going to face before I return. But hang in there. I'm coming back. And this is really just a repetition. And you notice I put in little brackets up there, i.e., like the news. I continue to be fascinated. You know, the, a week ago, I was reading, I think, through ABC News, and there's things that, we, that are happening around the world that we don't even hear about. But the ABC News was talking about a locust plague that is sweeping across West Africa, wiping out crops, and it's called it a plague of biblical proportions. And throughout the news, we keep on hearing about apocalyptic fires, and earthquakes, and volcanoes. And Lawrence was praying today about you know, not only nations in tension with other nations, but even within nations, peoples rising up against people within the nations, and all kinds of conflict going on. And all the time we keep on thinking, we keep on hearing these are apocalyptic times. These are things of biblical proportion. Somehow, you know, Christian society has infiltrated and it keeps drawing even a secular world's, world's mind to the idea that this is not going to go on forever. But for the world out there, apocalyptic just means bad news and the end. But that's not the way that the Bible is presenting. It's not saying that one day our environment is going to kick back against us or a virus is going to wipe it out, wipe us out or any of these things. These are signs that this world is broken, that sin has come in and infected the world and that something new must happen. Jesus said they're like birth pains, that something new is ready to be born and it's going to get hard and it's going to get worse but then something new will be born, which takes us to our next slide. At the end of all this, I've now gone forward you know, right to chapter 21, again, then I looked and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The other broken one had passed away, but I saw something brand new. And then as we move on, There's more to the story. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, a vision. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. It's a picture of healing and hope. And I hope you also picked up in the reading today that his people will present themselves as a bride who has been prepared, who has gotten ready for the groom to return. Those of you who have recently been married know that wedding days is a big day of preparation. There's a lot of preparation for the day, and the bride spends a lot of time preparing for that big day. Which means that if we're the bride, we're the church, Christ is the groom, he's coming back. This is not the teacher analogy, this is the bridegroom analogy. Wedding day is coming, are we prepared? 
There's work to do. Jesus is setting a vision for us, which takes us on to the next slide. Because it's all good to have a vision, but it's not much good without a mission. And uh, I use this analogy here because I grew up in the Rocky Mountains and I you know, used to look out the, at the Rockies through my front window almost every day of my life. And I always remember saying, you know, one day I would like to climb Pike's Peak because I'd driven to the top, but I'd never physically climbed it. And one day I finally made uh, a decision. I joined the, the Pike's Peak Hill Climb. It's a, it's a marathon and you run to the top of Pike's Peak. And I said, you know, I'm, this, is, this is my time and I'm going to do it. Long story short, I discovered that it's really easy to sit and look at Pikes Peak. It's really hard to climb to the top. And you can sit and look at the vision of that beautiful peak all you want, but you don't get there until you put one foot in front of the other and one foot in front of the other, and you keep looking at the top and you keep climbing until you get there. Mission means that if we have a vision, then there's something for us to do, which takes us to our next slide. We don't have to wonder what our mission is. Biblically speaking, Jesus has given to us. To us. It comes at the end of um, Matthew and Matthew 28. Jesus says, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. A commission means an authorized mission. God gave Jesus the authority to give us this command, this commanded mission, this co-mission. And here's what he said to us. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, including the command to go make disciples of all nations. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age which takes us to our next slide. Because when our EWC, our leadership team, was talking about all these things, we said, well, if we're going to do that, there needs to be a how. How do we do it? And that's what we mean by strategy. Vision is the picture of what it is we want to do. Mission is, you know, the the fact that we we have agreed that we're going to do these things together. But now we have to answer the question of how. I have been in so many churches over the years, and I found that so many churches, especially through the 80s and 90s, when vision statements were becoming really big in the corporate world, and they became really big in the church, and churches spent copious amounts of time crafting vision statements. And then back in the old days, you would pin it on a, you know, a cork board at the back of the church until it got too tatty, and then you would stick it in a filing cabinet somewhere, and then after a while, people would go, oh, do we have a vision statement? Oh, yeah, we we made one up uh, back in the 90s. Let's pull it out and see what it says. If you don't have a plan to bring your vision and mission statement into reality, it just doesn't happen. It's the old saying, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. There has to be a how and a who and a when, and you have to be able to measure it and say, how do we know we've achieved it? And these are the things that we have been talking about. It's a strategic plan. What is our plan for making disciples of all nations? Which takes us on to our next slide. You've seen this before because I've shared it a few times, but I said I, I think we can always summarize who we are as a church. We're disciple makers because that's what Jesus told us to be. Go make disciples of all nations. But there is a cycle to that. 
It means we have to reach out, bring in, train up, and send out. That's what he said. Go make disciples of all nations. Teach them everything I've commanded you to do, including going making disciples of all nations, and then send them out into the world to go make disciples of all nations. Bring them in, train them up, send them back out again. That's what we're to be doing. And we just continue to grow and develop and do these things more and more. That is our strategy. But it still boils down to how. You know, how do we prepare you? How are we preparing ourselves as a church? What are we doing? What will it cost? All of these things. And these are the things that I want to outline over the next few weeks. But I'm just giving you the broad strokes today. We can just go on to our next slide. I want to finish off with this because I think that this is important. We hear about vision. We hear about mission. We hear about strategy. We also sometimes hear about values. You know, companies and churches have value statements. I've always said there are three big values in the Bible. Um, these are just the attitudes that light our way, that keep us on the path, that keep like rails, that keep us from going off the rails. Corinthians says when you've looked at love and you've looked at the definition of love, kindness and gentleness and patience and self-control and all these different kinds of things, Paul says at the very end of it, three big attitudes remained. He said, now these three remain, faith and hope and love. And then he says, but the greatest one, the key one, the prime one is love. Why? Because faith is going to pass away. And you say, oh, you can't say that. You're a pastor. Faith never passes away. Yes, it does, because the Bible says when faith becomes sight, you don't need it anymore. When Jesus returns and the dwelling place of God is now with his people, you don't say, I have faith, Jesus, that one day you're going to return. He says, I'm here. You don't have to have faith to believe it. You just see it with your own eyes. You know, faith is being certain of what we hope for and what we have not seen. When faith becomes sight, we don't need faith anymore. We just see what we have. Hope. You know, when you finally get that great Christmas present that you've been hoping for all this time, a child doesn't stand there with their new thing and say, oh, I really hope I get this one day. You have it. You've got, you don't need hope anymore. It's arrived. Faith and hope pass away. But love remains. It's, it's the one eternal value, and it should shape everything that we do, which takes us on to our next slide. Jesus said this himself. This is not my idea. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important command, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, the whole Bible, relies on carrying out this one command. It takes us on to the next slide. Jesus also said to his disciples, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As we launch into our vision statement, I want you to be clear, yes, there's going to be work involved, but the Bible doesn't say people will know you're my disciples if you're really busy, if you're in meetings all the time. You know, if, if I see you working all the time, and I've seen a lot of churches that are very vision and mission focused, and they work really hard, and they drive their people really hard, but the one big problem is the love drains right out of the whole thing. There's a lot of duty and a lot of ought, but if the joy goes away and the love goes away, we lose the whole big picture. So I just want to finish off by saying that the way we do it is every bit as important as, as 
what we do. Um, love must remain the center of all of this. Finally, these are my four big takeaways. For those of you who like takeaways, you can get out your phones and take the picture now. Vision means that we need to keep meeting with God. Meetings like this are important because they remind us of who we are and what it is that we're meant to be doing. The people I've known over the years who've said, Chad, I'm still a Christian, but I've, I'm finished with church, and they, they walk away from church. They're like you know, little embers out of the fire. They just don't make it. Um, part of keeping a clear vision and a spark inside means we need to keep meeting before God and loving him and meeting with one another, encouraging one another, because we can't do it alone. Mission means um, that we all must own Christ's great commission. It's not just, oh, good, Jackie's going out and we've sent her there. Every one of us has some role to play in the mission, and we need to work out what is our part, whether locally or globally. We must all find our place in the work. If you can't say, well, in my church, here's what I do, then perhaps it's time to start. Where do you fit in? How are you helping to bring plans to fruition? And finally, let's remember that love is key. Corinthians, Paul says, without love, we actually accomplish nothing. There's no point doing any of this if we don't do it with love. The final slide is um, one that I've always called the vision of visions, and I'll always use this as, as my final analogy because in Revelation 7, in the middle of the book, which is sometimes where the Bible puts the important stuff, after this, I looked. You know, I was given a vision of a great multitude that no one could count, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. It's a spontaneous cry. We're saved. God saved us. And why are they there? And why are they celebrating? And why are they shouting? Because God's people carried out his command and his mission and did so with love and made the gospel known in word and deed. And as a result, the gospel spread to people of every nation, tribe, and language so that a crowd that no one could number was gathered together at his throne on the final day. And if that doesn't motivate us, then, then I don't know what will. We're going to have a chance to sing our song of response now.